Hey everyone, welcome to the All Season Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, and his name is Pratik Patel. He is the former Director of Nutrition and Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for the New York Giants. He has been very outspoken about the personal cost of working in professional sports, and today he shares a few of his opinions with me. We also share our experiences growing up as Asian Americans and how that drove us into the field of performance. Thanks for listening. Please enjoy. This podcast is also supported by Strength.com, the official protein for USA Wrestling. I like to consume the best ingredients, and Strength.com provides the best grass-fed protein for anyone looking to gain muscle or add protein to their diet. It is also NSF certified, which means it is the highest quality in supplements and is certified for sport. It also tastes fantastic. So, use my promo code ALLSEASON25 for 25% off any purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by Vision Pursue. VP helps build a performance mindset by challenging our automatic thinking patterns that are counterproductive through mental skills training. This in turn helps the individual rewire their perspective to experience their daily lives with more fulfillment. If you'd like to know more about VP and how they can improve satisfaction and relationships with others in your workspace, feel free to email me at spark0881 at gmail.com. I'm here with Pratik Patel. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, and the reason why is because you recently left the New York Giants um, as the Director of Nutrition, Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach. And one of the things you said for your departure is because there is a massive price to pay for being in that spot, um, working in professional sports. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, and sometimes people call it a sacrifice. I really wouldn't say what I've done over the past 11 years as a sacrifice because it, it was a, all completely my choice. You know, nobody forced me to be in that position. It's not like, you know, some of the conversations I've had with former athletes and players where they come from a single parent household where their, their mom or their dad was not present in their life, whether they got caught up in drugs or they're incarcerated. So you have the other parent having to fend for the kids. And obviously they want to be around the kids as much as possible, spend as much time, but somebody's got to take care of them. They need a source of income. They need to put food on the table. So these parents, you know, in the single parent household have to work two, three, four jobs. So that that's a sacrifice. You know, what I went through was more of my choice. Um, and really to be able to work in sports or at a really high level, regardless of if it's sports or, you know, high level company or high level executive, it demands a lot of time because if you want to be successful, there's, that's just the price of admission. You know, the hours are grueling. It's non-traditional. It's not your standard eight to five, nine to five, Monday through Friday, because in the NFL, you play on Sunday and everything you do leading up to that is a piece of preparation, whether you're practicing, whether it's a recovery day, whether it's meetings, meeting with athletes and players, scheming, talking with the personnel department, going over the injury list. There's always something to do. And then there's the element of travel. So when the season hits, um, including training camp, you're going every single day until the season is over because, you know, that's the requirement. You've got to get ready for game day and then you've got to get ready for another week and you've got to get ready for another week. 
So for me, it was um, a lot of time dedicated to it. And I was fortunate enough to kind of just make my way and find my way on an NFL staff in a coaching capacity, which is something that I definitely wanted to do. And, you know, from the outside, a lot of people, especially people in the performance field, their main goal is to try to work at the professional level because it's what's really glamorized. Everybody thinks that's where the best go. That's how you can kind of validate yourself by putting in a lot of that time. And I thought the same way because I never experienced it. Just, just the same thing with everybody else. A lot of my friends, family members, and colleagues too. And you know what you're, what you quick to realize is that having come from college into this space, it becomes that much more of a business type atmosphere. It's really all about wins and losses, and you know how is the revenue coming into the organization? Who's doing a good job? Who has control? Who are the key stakeholders? How much control do they have? How much autonomy do you have in your position? Uh, fortunately, the way it was set up, you know, the first three years I was with the Giants, there was a lot of good that we were able to do as a performance staff, but obviously things changed. You don't have the winning product on the field, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And you get a new GM, you get new coaches coming in, and they want something different. So you have to shift your attitude to meet the needs of what this new coach wants. And, th and this is the person who wasn't the person who brought you in or hired you. So when those off-seasons come, the time where a lot of other colleagues or a lot of other people get a chance to kind of get more time to decompress, spend time with family, maybe go on some continuing ed, personal, professional development type trips or conferences. You know, we didn't necessarily get a chance to enjoy some of those luxuries because we were now working for another person who doesn't know us. And we were coming off of multiple bad seasons. Let's be honest, they were terrible. And again, you have to prove yourself to a whole nother squad and then show them that, hey, I'm the right person for the job. Not necessarily, oh, this job is important. Well, yeah, you know, strength coaches are important. Digestions are important. Performance staffs are important. But are you the right person to fill that void and take on those responsibilities? So, you know, I, again, and it was never a dream of mine to work in the NFL, but having worked in college for seven years, thinking that, you know, maybe the next challenge for me was to try to work in the NFL, had the opportunity to do it. And then you kind of get to a point where, for me, it was getting a chance to reevaluate myself, which is what I do pretty regularly during the season and at the end of the offseason, and then figure out what's coming forward. Well, 2020 hits, you know, January, we've got a brand new coach. Uh, at that time, we didn't know who it was going to be. There was a lot of speculation from the media, and the person they thought was going to get the job didn't you know, they're sometimes they are wrong about a lot of things and they hype up a lot of things too. They had us buying in as well. And, it, you know, the, the hire was somebody that we didn't necessarily expect, who I think is a really smart man, who's a really good teacher and who's taking the organization in the right direction. But with that came some changes in my roles and responsibilities based on what he had seen in his previous positions, whether they're right, whether they're wrong. Again, what's good for the organization might not be good for individual people. And that's sometimes how you have to kind of look at it. And then it, it starts transitioning into the senior bowl and then the draft. And then the person who hired me and brought me on staff ended up resigning and leaving for a different position, a really good position, something that was beneficial for him and his family. And that changed another dynamic because in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to continue on doing this with these Changes again because he's still here. I'm still learning a lot. I'm still growing because we're working at a very high level and we have a good working relationship. And then, and then he was gone. 
And that transitioned into the pandemic <laughs> and we were quarantined for a very long time. We did everything virtually in the off season. And I, you know, I'm still in Jersey finishing up the sale of my house one step closer to that fingers crossed that happens next week. So I can get out of here. But <laughs> you know, I've pretty much been here since then outside of training camp. And so going through this process and having a lot more time to myself, because, you know, normally if we were with the team going through off season training, we would be going, you know, five days a week, if not coming in and getting extra work or prep done on Saturdays or Sundays. And I usually go in on the weekends to work out anyway, spending, you know, 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 7 p.m., however long the new coaching staff was required to be there. But we didn't have to go through that. You know, the time frame we had to commit for this off-season program was a lot shorter. Not saying that we were, you know, at free reign to do whatever we want. We were stuck at home. We wanted to follow the protocols for Jersey and New York City, which were pretty strict and do our part to not be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. So working, you know, three or four hours a day with the virtual program, doing things for athletes one-on-one, -on -one. you know, the guys had questions and a lot of them because once my former boss left, I ended up becoming the longest tenured coach on the coaching staff. So I had more familiarity with the entire roster than anybody else. So a lot of the players returning didn't know who the new head strength coach was going to be, didn't know a lot about the head coach or the position coaches outside of a couple that were still retained. So a lot of guys are still contacting me, trying to figure out what's going on. What does this pandemic mean? How is it going to be when the team returns? Because, you know, there's, a, there's chatter amongst the players that it's going to be a lot tougher and this and that. So, you know, dealing with a lot of the issues some of the players were having one-on-one -on, -one, on top of navigating this whole pandemic with nutrition and exercise, with not being able to be with the guys. And as you can see, we know the disaster that unfolded in front of everybody with the increase in injuries, and we knew it was going to happen, unfortunately. So I, I was afforded a lot more time to myself to think. And with that time, I was able to do things that I wasn't able to do regularly, which is spend a lot more time reconnecting with family and friends because I wasn't thrown specifically straight into work. You know, I kept myself busy by doing a lot of reading, um, you know, presentations, connecting with a lot of performance staff members across the globe. Right. And really continuing to just keep busy, but doing things I was really enjoying. Coupled in with the virtual program. So we finished up the program, got a little bit of time off in the summertime, not much, because we had to go and put together some preparations for when the team was going to come back for training camp. Now, because of the rules stipulated by the NFL with appropriate spacing, uh, the contact tracing that was going to happen, the organization couldn't execute a training camp in the facility because of the space required. So everything happened at the stadium. Well, that opened up a whole other can of worms where there's a lot of prep. There's a lot of planning that has to be done, working with whole new food service staff, um, the procurement of all the items we needed, constructing a weight room from scratch, you know, bringing in equipment, a lot of people involved with that. So in my head, I was thinking, all right, you know, every time I've been away from the team, it's been time for me to kind of reflect and think. And usually it's only about one week, two weeks max. And that time off was usually in July. So I was able to come back with the team in the past, you know, having felt motivated and refreshed with new ideas. And that's when the previous, you know, training camps at the end of July 
I was ready, ready to go, you know, work those long days, you know, 16, 17 hour days until the season started motivated for what the team was going to be. But for some reason this year, having done a lot more reflection on, you know, is this exactly what I want to continue to do? Things have changed a lot. I w I've continued to try to put my best foot forward, but it hasn't really contributed to anything in terms of wins and losses. Obviously, you know, a lot of good has happened, but there's a lot that's not in your control that you just have to deal with. And that's the nature sure. of a lot of things in life, especially when you work in pro sports, sports in general too, that I felt I was even more alone and by myself when I got back to the team than at any other point that I had experienced. And I know a lot of these thoughts kept coming into my mind in past years, you know, time away from family and friends, you know, having really spent a significant amount of time with my family in a good amount of time. You know, I've been away from some of my best friends that I grew up with and went to school with, played sports with, um, outside of just meeting up random weekends, you know, once a year, things like that. So thinking about my impact, which is very minimal at this team level, which could be even greater given all the things that I was able to do and accomplish by myself during the pandemic, you know, weighing th those two parts. Right. And then also time away from family as my parents get older, as my nephews get older, you know, how much time am I going to have left with my parents? You know, ideally as much as they would want and I would want, but that's just not reality. And they're getting older. Family members are, you know, getting older. My nephews, things are happening, you know, in terms of just big life events that I haven't been present for, which now me, like now I reflect on them, those things were big and they mean a lot and not being able to be there hurts. So that's when I actually started, you know, thinking about it at the beginning of camp in my head, I thought, all right, let me just stick it out to the end of the season. They gave me an extension in, I think it was February. I didn't sign it for a variety of reasons. Didn't even bring it up to negotiate or anything like that. I just had it in my back pocket. Um, thought I'd make it to the end of the year, but then things just started compounding themselves even more. And the more I started thinking about it, I realized like, you know, what would be the difference of me outside of money leaving now than staying until the end of the season? Is my life going to be that much better staying until the end of the season than making this decision now? Because again, I'm not essential to the operation for the team in terms of wins and losses. So obviously it was a decision I didn't take lightly. I thought it over, talked with a lot of family and friends, and then realized that it was the right thing to do. And the timing just seemed to be really right and appropriate and just went ahead and made the decision you unpacked a lot here i gotta <laughs> touch back on a few things <laughs> um i can definitely tell you've had a tremendous amount of time to think about this and reflect and it seems like you've went through a tremendous amount of turbulence with the team and the shit that the team went through um and it seems like the wards just weren't that great anymore um your investment into the team just didn't seem like it was worth staying on and doing all that work. Um, I thought it was really interesting that you brought up first that it's not a sacrifice. It's a choice of you being there and deciding this is what I'm doing. Um, now, um, it's interesting that you say your role is not essential to the success of the team. Why do you say that? 
because we don't make a lot of decisions that affect what happens with the product out on the field outside of just general prep. Now, if, if there was a study done which could correlate strongly, you know, the decisions made by a performance staff in terms of types of training, recovery modalities, uh, improvements in health and, and all that, two wins and losses, then yeah, that would be great. Our salaries would be 10 times what they are, but we'd also be scrutinized 10 times more than we really are. But having been around a lot of different teams, a lot of different universities, realizing when you see it from the inside out that, um, especially at the NFL level, if you have a roster that just isn't talented, even though they, they play really hard and they're a bunch of good guys, the competition level is so high in the NFL. It's really difficult to win games. Even if you have a great week of practice, you're, you have the entire complement of active players on the roster available, which my, you know, for my second and third years, we did for a good number of games, which obviously bodes well for the team. But again, if the roster isn't there, you're not maximizing the abilities of the players on your roster, and you just don't have a, a buy-in and belief in terms of the leadership, the culture, and the expectations of what's required of the players, of the coaching staff, uh, the quality of coaching, then really that's what's going to make the difference between wins and losses as opposed to, yeah, we've got the greatest performance staff. We have the nicest uh, weight room. We have the newest equipment, the fanciest GPS units, the best food. I mean, yeah, that stuff is great and all, but at the end of the day, it's only going to push the button slightly in terms of what the contribution is. And, and that's just reality. You know, early in my career, I thought nutrition was life or death. It was everything with all the benefits that can provide to an athlete and a person that if they would just follow through, then they would significantly improve their performance and health. But again, you're dealing with humans that aren't always 100% compliant, that deal with a lot of different factors outside of what you're trying to uh, provide to them and impose on them. And these guys are, these players, these athletes are, genetically superior that's what makes them special they whether they have a talent in you know their <laughs> extreme speed or you know extreme power or just a mental mindset that doesn't allow them to ever quit uh, th that's usually what the biggest deciding factor is in terms of what an athlete's going to be successful at or not and i feel like for nfl the margin of error is a little bit bigger with nutrition because they're so big right i mean if they ate a burger out of, i don't know how much that would affect their overall calorie count whereas if you are like a ufc fighter and you're trying to make 135 and you're weighing 160 right the margin is so much smaller um for you you said before you know which each new year and the coach you had to validate your um your role was that really fucking frustrating to like every year make sure that people respected you and make sure that you knew what you were doing with them yeah i would say yes and no i'd say yes because it's hard to get really good buy-in from the players but then at the same time not want to try to ask the organization for more resources or more money to say hey this is what we're bringing to the table it's it's providing a benefit to the not only the organization but specifically for the players because it's all about the players when they buy in and see that the training is really helping out. The, there's accountability in the weight room. Uh, they're learning more about their bodies. They're doing things that no one has ever taught them or showed them before, and they're seeing the benefit from it. Yeah, it's frustrating because we're doing, we're trying to hold up our end of the bargain, but there's some disconnects on 
other sides and other parts of the building and other departments. Um, so I think that that's where there's a lot of fucking frustration. So it's like, look, I got hired to do this role and having conversations with the first head coach that hired me, which I actually really like him a lot. I called him. He called me actually a couple of weeks ago. We had a good conversation. And what he said to me was, Hey, don't worry about what the salary looks like right now. You know, you seem like a bright guy. And this is when I first got hired on. He's like, show them what, show everybody what you can do and you'll be set. We'll take care of you. Well, unfortunately, before the end of the season, my first season there, he was let go. And so was the GM. So now I'm like, well, what do I do now? You know, I don't want to be that person who's asking for money and this and that and, you know, trying to figure out what my value and, and who I am to the organization is based on the evaluations that never really came or happened. So I was continuing to set my KPIs and what I wanted to achieve that year, what was going to continue to drive me to work, regardless of what the wins and losses were looking like. And, you know, it didn't seem like other people were doing the same thing in a lot of other departments. But on the flip side, having to prove yourself sometimes can be a blessing in disguise because when you're a part of an organization that just continues to win, you don't want to change that much of what you're doing because you don't want to be the person to do something drastic. And then if the team starts losing, then again, all eyes might come on you, even though we know if you're not a coach, a GM or the players in terms of like a signal caller, uh, no one's really going to look at you that way. So, you know, whether you're part of a dynasty in college football or the NFL, you're probably not going to be as hard or of a critic or evaluate yourself as intensely as if, Hey, my job's online again this year. I need to make sure that what I'm doing makes sense. I need to make sure the things that I'm not doing well, I address and improve and then set a higher bar for the next year. So that's what we were forced to do every single year. And we couldn't rest them in all of our laurels. You know, our, we could have been let go at any time, really, during the four different head coaches that, you know, I work for. And, again, it's hard to now retrospectively say that it would have been nicer to have at least made the playoffs one or two years or had a run at the Super Bowl, just because it kind of just validates all the work that everybody does, especially when you put in that much time and effort, as opposed to going 3-13, and 5-11, and 11, and then – we were like four and 12 last year, I think, or three and 13 again. It's so bad. I try not to think about it, <laughs> but at the same time, because I couldn't just bring to the same things to the table, I had to be a very harsh critic of myself. Maybe that was probably the best for me because it had to open my eyes to a lot of different things, you know, get out of this same mindset that I'd been in previously, try to look at things from a different perspective learn from a lot of the other people in the building about what their points of view are, what they bring to the table, whether, you know, they seem to be an asset or not. It's neither here nor there. There's always something you can learn from any and everybody around you. So it, it was shitty, but I would say um, there's also some benefits to it too. Yeah. I have to imagine if I was in your spot and I'm going through a new head coach every year or two, we went from Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer, now judge. I'm sure the faith, of the organization is diminishing with each rotation. Um, maybe the belief in the success of the team is always kind of going in and out. Um, so 
I'm going to have to ask you to be retrospective a little bit. If you were talking to yourself 10 years ago, who's climbing the ladder in, in college, um, what would you say then that is professional sports, the title of it, working there, not as worthwhile? Or is it just not end-all, be-all? I wouldn't say that. I think there were a lot of things I would tell myself. And then obviously having had the opportunity to do what I was able to do at the highest level, uh, maybe I really shouldn't tell myself anything, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been able to get to that spot. I think more of the information I would, I would tell myself is obviously when you're going through specific programs and academic curriculums that deal with things like health and medicine, there's, not a lot of deviation in the material that's taught doesn't change very much, even though nowadays, I mean, you can see there are so many different things that seem to work that are getting published that bring new ideas and new thought processes to the table. And I think it's one of the biggest issues when you're talking about nutrition and dietetics, maybe even some components of medicine too, that it just kind of puts everybody in this groupthink mindset to say that, hey, this is the material we're going to teach you. Anybody else that tries to bring anything to the table that might bring a different viewpoint isn't right. They're a quack. They're this and all that. They're a charlatan. But that's not that's that's a horrible way to look at things, and it's a horrible way to teach people to be very you know doesn't teach you to be open minded and realize that yeah there's multiple ways to be able to work with an athlete and address the issues they have. All you got to do is be very open minded to ask questions, look at things exponentially instead of in a narrow frame box. So I would tell myself to be a lot more open-minded. Don't be as judgmental to a process that you're not familiar with because probably one of the best pieces of information that I got from uh, one of the ADs that hired me at Oregon was that, you know, he told me that you're, you're a bright kid. You've got a great future, but you're still kind of young. And he, he had, he's worked in sports for decades, you know, NFL, college, everywhere. And he said, just, just keep this in mind. He's like, there's so much information out there that you haven't been exposed to. You don't know what you don't know. And, and it's not to say that you won't be able to grow and learn, but it's impossible to think that you have everything figured out at such a young age. Even at my age, I'm learning new things in the performance field and the recovery field and the nutrition and strength conditioning and movement that I had been exposed to, even though I you know, think that I'm pretty well versed in a lot of different areas. It's just, there's just too much information out there to be able to learn it all. It's being open-minded. The next is to develop relationships with the people that aren't necessarily within your immediate circle. Like, you know, when you're in undergrad or grad school, you're close with your advisor and your friends and the people you take classes with, but there's so many people that are around you and accessible to you that can provide a huge benefit with their knowledge base um, especially, you know, when you're in grad school or you're getting your first job in sports, you know, don't be so focused on being a martyr and diving in straight and working these long days because, you know, yeah, there is a time and place to dedicate yourself and work hard, be productive, don't just be busy. But also learning happens when you start opening your mind up to new ideas and new thought processes. And there's a lot of people in a lot of different fields that have experiences that, I have never had, nor would I ever be able to have because I'm not in their same field. 
So I don't get a chance to see things the way they do. I wouldn't get a chance to experience some of the interactions that they do. So every every time that you don't get a chance to get outside of your inner circle, whether it's, you know, nutrition or strength and conditioning uh, is a missed opportunity for a huge amount of growth. I, I think those would probably be the two biggest things I would tell myself, but, and then also be a lot more fiscally responsible. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the watches, the shoes, and, you know, the cars and all that. And man, I don't even have most of that stuff anymore. So it's a waste of money. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, you touched up on a lot of good things. And I think when you're a grad student, a lot of them do focus on dedicating as much time and being as most productive as possible. And I think that's their only, or not only, but their narrow vision of what success will come about from. Um, is that what kind of you are advocating for now as a professional in the field? Like you've been very outspoken uh, in recent times with your departure. What is like the message you're really trying to get out there? I think it's not to shun people away from aspiring to want to work at these levels. It's more of just when I talk to young coaches and practitioners um, in, in any field that deals with performance and recovery, if they reach out and they, they want to talk and I said, yeah, I think I've been very accommodating to anybody that has questions. I'll either try to point them to a podcast and if they listen to all of them and they have other questions, I'm like, oh, let's get on the phone because I didn't have that. I had to navigate this field by myself. So that means I made a lot of mistakes, but I also was able to learn a lot in at a faster rate than if I had somebody who was kind of opening the door for me and holding my hand, the kind of, you know, the, the way we treat college and pro athletes. Now we, you know, we don't prepare them for the path. We prepare the path for them, which is not the right way to go. Uh, I think it's just understanding what is it that a young practitioner or coach enjoys, what brings them happiness and what do they want to achieve? Now, if you want to achieve, I want to work for an NFL team. I get it. I was there. It, it's what kind of drove me to wanting to work in the NFL. But at the end of the day, that's not, that's not going to be enough for you because happiness is an internal thing. You have to create it yourself. You're not going to get it from a title. You're not going to get it from a high salary. And the thing is, we're not, you know, the performance people aren't making seven figures. You know, you, make, you can make a good living, but you're also going to have to work really hard at it. You're going to have to realize that you're going to make the choice to be away from family and friends. You're going to miss things that most normal people are able to do. And I think for me, it's just understanding what is it you want to achieve. Now we're getting to the place where a lot of my colleagues, uh, older and younger than me, and coaches too, they're, they're leaving their jobs because they're just not getting a lot of satisfaction out of it because they have families, they have other things that they want to achieve. I don't know if it's just burnout. Everybody talks about burnout. Somebody had commented on my Twitter post, which was the same as my LinkedIn one. Like, oh, he's too young to be burnout. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not burnout. I was working 16, 17 hour days in training camp knowing I was going to leave. And my energy levels were through the roof. I was productive. I was functioning at a high level. I was doing what I needed to do. It just wasn't where my goals were aligned with anymore. You know, I, that's not how I felt that I could make a huge impact on society, humanity, whatever you call it, given the experiences I've had for the past 11 years and everything that I've learned and read and whatnot. So, sure. um, I think the biggest thing is it's not find your why it's like find out what drives you and what's going to allow you to find some happiness and purpose in life. I mean, I think that's a big thing And in circling back, what got me into the field was I was pretty active as a kid. I went through a long sedentary period where I gained a lot of weight. 
um, you know, playing a lot more video games. I've always been an introvert. So that kind of compounds itself to Everyone where... Everyone was fat once, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody was fat once. And so I, uh, I was visiting family in Fiji in 1999 for the 2000 uh, millennium, Y2K. And we were riding jet skis and I think uh, was with a bunch of my cousins and was out like 200 yards or meters, they would say, from you know the coast, fell off the jet ski, was just so deconditioned and overweight, like I couldn't get myself up on the jet ski. And I saw the person we were riding <laughs> from, like from the shoreline, kind of like roll his eyes, have to swim out to me, push me on it. And then I, you know, drove it back in. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. And it, and it was embarrassing. You know, for the longest time, I told people that what stimulated my change to wanting to improve my health and get in shape was, you know, a lot of family members that had issues like diabetes and heart disease and had some that have had strokes. And that's what changed my mind. But actually, no, that wasn't it. It was the shame that I felt from really loathing the way I looked and wasn't very happy and didn't want to be we didn't want to feel like an outcast anymore as you know how it goes when you're growing up in in america going through high school these impressionable times if you're not super popular then you know you can be really awkward and the introverted part of myself didn't help out with that so that's you know i made a lot of changes over the next couple of years really dropped a lot of weight got in shape you know joined the track team finished playing two years of football and it it changed a lot of my life it changed the entire outlook of my life and I was a completely different person and I felt that man if, if I could do that maybe there's something to that because I started just really enjoying everything about nutrition and exercise maybe I can help other people do that so that's how I got my foot in the door to start thinking maybe I should start studying this and let me see what I could do in terms of making a career out of it um, can I ask about your personal background? Did you grow up in an area that was um, surrounded by, I'm, I don't know what your ethnicity is, but were you surrounded predominantly with a different race? Yeah. So my background is uh, Hindu Indian. Uh, my, my mom was born in Fiji. Dad was born in Kenya, but all my grandparents are from India. And I grew up in, in Kansas in a, a city called Shawnee. It's a suburb of Kansas City. And it's definitely predominantly white. So I was definitely, I was already different growing up. Different because I look different. And then also right. different because maybe you can uh, attest to this. You know, our families, Asian families, backgrounds, they, you know, they obviously want to challenge their kids. They push their kids. So you do a lot of work after school. Studies are very important. You have to get the really good grades. You have to get into a good college. You have to go for the regal degree. 100% law engineering medicine so I, I was different because i i was smarter than most of the kids that i was going to school with and it wasn't because i was born like that it was because what my parents had gone through growing up which was putting in all that extra work you know the way you become smart is you got to work for it. you're not just automatically born smart and that's you know dweck's mindset which is great um so that's what we had gone my sister and i went through that so we we were different not only the way we look, but because we were smart. So that can be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It wasn't that bad growing up, but it's one thing I kind of tried to leverage to make myself feel a little bit more normal. You know, like all the other kids that we went to school with, all the other white kids to try to just find an equal footing. 
And then as time passed on, went into middle school. Uh, middle school was a horrible time for a lot of people. It wasn't a great time for me. Uh, now I was going to school in a more diverse population, but now there are a lot of other smart kids. So my advantage wasn't necessarily there anymore. Plus going through more of the awkward stages, being an introvert, you know, not being a jock or in shape or having a lot of success with girls, you know, that kind of makes you feel even more outcasted. So I wanted to be like everybody else, the popular kids, the white kids. So what are they doing? What are they wearing? How do they act? Um, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Westchester, New York, like very suburban white neighborhood. And I felt a lot of those same things of being like somewhat feeling an outcast and knowing that I couldn't be white or I couldn't fit into the group. I think the reason why I got obsessed with exercise and nutrition myself was because the only way I could feel the most confident and secure in my body was through those two avenues. And Mm -hmm. I still hold on to that because no matter what, like those are two really the main ways that I feel like I can hold on to my self security. Like I can physically be as strong as I want to, and I can be as healthy as I want through my nutrition. Like those are two controllables for me. Um, And I'm guessing that kind of, that resonates with you too, right? Like did that help you feel secure in your personal being? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you went through is exactly what I went through. And I'm just very glad and fortunate that I became so, I guess, I don't want to say obsessed, but there is some obsession to it with wanting to change myself because early on, and this kind of goes into the earlier stages of my career, I just compared myself too much to others instead of just kind of looking at myself and figuring out, all right, well, based on my genetics and my frame and my background, I'm not going to be 215 pounds of muscle at 6% body fat and the strongest guy in the room because I'm a smaller frame guy. As you say, I'm 5'10", now very lean, good amount of muscle, but I have very small bone breasts. I can't pack on a ton of muscle mass. It's just how we're not built, but we've got, you know, long arms, broad shoulders. It's just kind of how we've evolved anthropologically you know you see a lot of other fit indians and people from the middle east that have the same type of profile like bigger chest long skinny arms but toned and defined tiny waist can uh, run forever no calves small <laughs> quads even though you know I've, I've been able to push some weight when i was heavier going in through those strength training phases so for me a lot of my desire to want to be great comes from just proving myself as an equal to everybody else now I was never a very charismatic person. I'm still an introvert to this day, but I've been able to embrace it now. And I realize that, you know, it's not good or bad being an introvert or extrovert. It's both good and bad. It's how you harness it and use those talents to get what you want out of your situations. So there are things that I had to do, which has kind of helped me progress in my career. It's more of being uh, more open-minded, observing, listening, communicating when I need to, understanding people a lot better because to be able to create relationships, I don't have that extroverted charismatic personality. I have to really dive deep into, you know, what is what makes this person tick? What do they like? Is it something that I like? Then we can try to find common ground or, you know, how does this person react in what type of communication style do they like? Are they uh, open to or they resonate the most with? So as I've I've progressed in my career, I've always used a lot of those things about myself um, 
you know, harnessing that, that introvertedness, but also that always like the constant need to prove myself back then it was to others. Now it's to me, you know, that's, that's always something that I've held on my shoulder is a huge chip on my shoulder and it's never going to stop. So I think having gone through those feelings similar with you with our upbringing was very necessary to be able to have that mindset to when I first started to get into this career that nothing that I was going to encounter or anybody was going to say isn't something that I've told myself internally or felt already based on all these different situations and models that I played out in my head. So I think that's allowed me to harden myself quite a bit to just, to just go, just fucking go. Like when I got my first job at Michigan state, I think that was a great experience for me because it was a very tough environment where I had to basically like earn the right to be there. That was, that was kind of just the whole mentality and mantra of what was going on. They had some people that worked with them in the past that didn't necessarily blossom the relationships that they had wanted, you know, wasn't going to get a lot of support. It wasn't going to have a lot of resources. It was kind of figured out, you know, you'll, you'll get support if you, garner the favor of the coaches and the players and they they trust you and they like you but if and only if that happens and then you know I got the job at Oregon which was kind of at that time like a place that you know I romanticized and fantasized about which was awesome so you know a person who didn't have a lot of support coming in you know as a mentor um, got my first job at Michigan State then got this monster job at the University of Oregon and so in my head I'm thinking well you know, now I'm kind of making a name for myself and, you know, what is it that I want to be outside of a really good practitioner and doing a good job for the school is like, I want to be the best. You know, I want to, I want to take things to the top level, do things that other people haven't. Um, and what's going to set me apart isn't, you know, my degrees or, you know, background or where I went to school. It's me as a person, like, how do I work? How do I think? What is it that I can do that others can't? So I either want to be the first to do something or I want to be the best or the most consistent. So that kind of, you know, snowballed and led me to my opportunity in the NFL and now here. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that you're describing about what you know about yourself <clears throat> and how you can work with others, that's just like wisdom that comes with working on yourself. Like you've dedicated a lot of time to work on yourself that has allowed you to like have a really good perspective on all these different ways of understanding. And you say that you... You didn't directly say this, but I can tell that you are your own worst critic. Like mm -hmm. nothing else can motivate you besides yourself or you don't need anything else to motivate you. It's all it's all internal at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I am right there with you. And your work demanded you to be able to communicate well with others. Like you have to communicate with the athletes to like guide them on nutrition or performance needs like those were that i feel like that was a demand of the work wasn't it yeah it definitely is and it, it's still a work in progress you know i won't say i'm the best communicator in the world right I think a lot of it stems from having to realize that some of my approaches early in my career weren't the best ways to go about things and uh, you know like i mentioned this before you know with within this field there's, you know, there's a lot of group thing. There's a lot of fixed mindset. And I had that early in my career, but because of some of the situations that I was placed in and some of the things that didn't necessarily go the way I thought they were going to go and interactions that I had with certain people that really showed me that 
I had to adapt to these situations and be better myself. And it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about my line of thinking. It's starting to put myself in other people's shoes and understanding them from their perspectives and understand that, you know, at the end of the day, athletes, coaches, everybody is human. People are going to make mistakes. No one's ever going to be perfect. And that's just one of the benefits of being human. And one of the, the quirks of getting a chance to work with a lot of different personalities and a lot of different backgrounds and people. So being able to transition more to that, that growth mindset, understanding that I might not have all the answers and it's okay to admit faults and it's okay to say, you know, you don't know something or when you're wrong, because I mean, if the best athletes in the world can do it, if some of the biggest and best and most successful CEOs and um, whoever people that are highly admired can admit to their faults and show that vulnerability, then that gives strength and confidence in building trust. And that way you can actually start to improve that communication because uh, again, when you can relate to somebody else and see things from their perspective and understand what they're going through, develop that trust in that relationship, then that's when you can start being a little bit more intense with them. Then you can you know, really start pressing that accountability factor outside of, you know, the first meeting you have with somebody and you see they're doing 20 things wrong. Like you can't just jump down their throat and call them out or yell at them because, you know, coming from their perspective, they don't know who you are and they've never experienced you. And they don't know that you do mean well, or you intend well, but without developing that relationship and relatability factor, if, if you lose that, you know, with one player or a big name player or a coach, then that's just going to spread around really quickly. Right. It's and gone. then, yeah, it's gone. You can't get that back. That it, it just, you never really get second chances in those type of situations. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking about building trust and rapport, which is, you know, um, crucial to maintaining a really good relationship. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot with uh, fixed and growth mindset with Carol Dweck. If you don't know about it, people should look into it. And maybe I'll do a different episode one day about that. Um, before I let you go, has there been a question that you've wished someone would ask you? Hmm. Probably. I think one of the biggest ones was not like, oh, how did you get your job with the Giants? Or what advice would you give to you know a student starting out or get your foot in the door? Um, I don't think everybody's ever asked me like, what is it that I did specifically outside of what school I went to, what places I worked at that has benefited me the most in my career working in sport. And I don't think anybody's really ever asked me like things like that or a thought process like that. So how, how would you answer that question? And I would say a few times I've been asked about, you know, my journey and my process and I've, I've answered, this is how I got to the NFL. These are the steps I've taken, you know, talking about range and, you know, I didn't just stay specifically in sports nutrition. You know, I did a, I did an exercise intervention study for my master's thesis, a legit eight week study, you know, which not many people would do for a thesis knowing that, you know, I wasn't going to go in academia at that time. No, I'm not, I'm, going to be starting a PhD hopefully in January. Um, so to get to the NFL, and I had a conversation with a, a friend and colleague of mine about this, you know, it wasn't just because of the steps I, I took. It wasn't because of 
the places I worked at or, oh, I was a strength coach and a dietitian. It was, well, if somebody did the exact same thing, odds are they probably wouldn't end up in the same places that I did. And like, like we talked about before, the thing that sets me apart is the drive that I harnessed back in middle school and high school, changing my mindset to become, again, not obsessive, but just have this fire in me, no matter what I was going to do, I was going to do it to my best of my ability and I was going to achieve it. Being able to tap into that mindset, no matter what was going on around me, which can continue to drive me, you know, without the need of other extrinsic or intrinsic motivational factors. Um, it's, it's the same drive that I have right now, which is, you know, pushing me to a different direction of me wanting to achieve other things outside. And that's what has allowed me to grow in each one of the spots that I've had and do things that other people have and got to the top of the field of the NFL, but had probably one of the most dynamic and unique positions in this entire field of, you know, a kind of nutrition and performance that nobody else has had. So I think that's how I would answer that question. And it's in everybody, you know, not everybody's going to have that. Well, I had to prove something to the world from middle school, high school in me, but there are experiences that people have had in the past where I never really think people should shun that regardless of what you've had happen to you. We, you know, we've had stories of a lot of, you know, former players and athletes have horrible things happen to them that obviously you wouldn't wish on anybody else. Sometimes, you know, some of these things you don't want to compartmentalize because they've written books on this, you know, like when the body says no, how that can exacerbate a lot more stress and cause you to break down. It's when you can be the master of your own mind and everything around you, when you have complete control of your choices, that's when things really start to happen. Like you don't need, you know, that fake motivation to be able to get out of bed because you already know you have something to prove. And it's like, you know, the light that stays on and never goes off. Um, that, that's kind of what I would I'd tell a lot of people is it's in you. You, you just have to find it and you have to harness it. Yeah. And, I think, you know, no one's going to be able to tell you what it is. You just have to identify it. Yeah. I mean, cor correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of what you're talking about is everybody has the capacity to be really resilient with life. And I think you're really good at seeing the opportunities to be resilient. And then you've built upon that time and time again. But if people mm -hmm. aren't aware of those opportunities and, <clears throat> they back out, then it almost resets a little bit and they have to find the next opportunity when they can be resilient. But I think you're right. Everybody does have the capacity. It's just, are you aware of those moments and are you seizing on those opportunities? Um, mm. Does does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, no, it's so true because at the end of the day, the funny thing is like 99.999% of the people on this planet are just very average, like including me. There was, again, there was nothing special about my upbringing. You know, I wasn't a super athlete. I wasn't the smartest kid in the room. I wasn't the most popular. It's everybody can take advantage of something that they bring to the table. Now, you know, if you're an extrovert, then yeah, use that to your advantage. If you're an introvert, well, you've got to do a lot more on the other side, but you can kind of use those kind of strengths and what an introverted person brings to the table to be able to harness something inside of you. Um, it's just the problem is people just are okay with being mediocre and just kind of funneling along, not trying to challenge themselves. And everybody says, get outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of people are just okay with the status quo or when they do start getting uncomfortable, it's, it's too much for them. 
And I mean, that, that's not how you're going to get better at anything. You know, people are just okay with, I got my degree. These are my experiences. Well, that's good enough. I'm like, well, no, you've got to master everything around you. And it starts with your, your mindset. It starts with your physical health and intelligence. And again, you've got to know the material, but you also have to have a high amount of EQ and, and social intelligence too, because no matter what you do for a living, you're going to be dealing with people in one way or another whether you work for yourself, whether you work for a team, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a CEO, what have you, you have to work with people in some capacity. Now, it's not all about just building relationships. You can't be the nicest person in the world and not be able to improve an athlete physically and mentally. At the same token, you can't be the smartest person in the world, but if you have shit habits and horrible relatability, like no one's gonna wanna talk to you if you're awkward as hell. Right. And you bring nothing to the table at the same token. If you're a person who doesn't take very good care of themselves, you don't sleep well, you eat like crap, you know, you don't look very good. You're constantly tired. Your body aches all the time. Like, well, that's not going to help your brain work at its, its highest level to be able to work these 12 to 16, 17 hour days. So getting a chance to master all of that is, is huge. And that's where, you know, what I've kind of told a few different people about, you know, you can be the smartest person in the room and not be a doctor. You know, if you've mastered all these different types of intelligences, you know, physical, spiritual, mental, social, emotional, like you're the smartest person in the room. Now you can throw financial in there too. If you've got, you know, somebody who's really, really uh, financially well off or makes a lot of money. But I think that's where people need to start growing because uh, one of the most recent social media posts I put is that you know, when you're in school, regardless of what level of school you're at, they never, they just teach you what to learn. Nobody ever teaches you how to learn and how to love the process of learning. And when I left grad school, I started developing that a little bit in grad school, but I was taking kinesiology courses and doing research, which is different than the nutrition undergrad that I had. So when I left grad school, that's when my actual learning process really started to begin. Because I had to question everything that I learned before, especially in undergrad, about nutrition and working with different populations. Because for a while there, I was taking the research-based evidence and trying to apply it, but it wasn't getting the desired result. I'm like, well, there's a disconnect here. That's when you, you start using your brain. You start seeing all these different connections about working with people in the real world to say, well, this isn't working. Got to try something else. Even though it's not studied, I got to go with my gut feeling. So I think that's where a lot of people fail too, is they just put all their eggs in one basket. Whether it's, I'm going to read every book on training. I'm going to read every book on nutrition. Like, well, you know, over the past, since I got to the Giants, probably read over 200 books. The amount of training and nutrition books that I've read is probably five or less. Everything else is about (laughs) learning how to deal with people, learning how people think, learning how money works, learning how infrastructure happens in, in like organizational leadership. Um, because that's what's going to open my mind to see how can I be even more effective with what I know and how can I connect all these other dots with all these other groups that I'm working with? Because, you know, nutrition's not end all be all, but it, it's something everybody does regardless of your player, your coach, you can see the benefit of it. And it connects all these other different avenues. Same thing with recovery and sleep and physical activity. So there's, there's something in that that I think is still a huge untapped area that people need to continue to learn about. Uh, yeah, you said a lot of good things here. Um, and I think you're just an evolved thinker person who's really engaged in making themselves making themselves better. And maybe 
maybe a lot of people aren't into that. And maybe the message is that you should take more time into addressing some of the areas where you may have weaknesses as a human being. Um, mm. And being a human is so complex and, and there's so many things that go on <laughs> into it that you can't be perfect, but, at, but you could at least try to be better in certain areas. Right. Um, and I think that was a really good way of you addressing all those points. Um, I know our time is up. So <laughs> Pratik, it was a pleasure to get to know you and to listen from you and, and learn a lot of things about you and, what your thoughts processes are so uh thank you so much for coming on again appreciate it no i appreciate it yeah thanks for letting me share some uh, different information and insights than i've done in the past absolutely all right have a great day you too